and uh, each of you are invited. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I'll show you things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each had six wings, uh, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him, <clears throat> excuse me, who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Let's pray together. Father John told us in his gospel that if everything was recorded that Jesus both did and taught, the world itself couldn't contain the books. And so we realize that what we have before us in this Bible could be so much more than it is, but you have distilled it down into what is needed for us. And we thank you, Lord, for every revelation of yourself that's in this book and of our Savior. Thank you for your love for us this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, even as we have worshipped you, that you are our God. And we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and give us the ability to understand what it is that you want us to understand from this chapter of your Bible. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> with chapter 4, we begin uh, in earnest the final uh, of the three divisions of the book of uh, the Revelation. For the outline that Jesus has given to us for understanding the book in chapter 1, verse 19. And as we saw last week, the chapter 4 onward <clears throat> onward in the book has to do with the things uh, that will happen 
uh, things that are metatauta, following the church age, following the rapture of the church into heaven. And I think that it's exciting to realize that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, uh, we are going to be personally introduced into the heavenly scene that is described for us in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, both of those constitute kind of uh, the same uh, vision and the same revelation concerning heaven, and, uh, but we'll look at a portion of it here uh, uh, this morning. I think that sometimes as Christians, it's, I think it's true of most of us, we could wish that we knew a little bit more about heaven uh, than we do. And so the revelations that are given to us are uh, invaluable to us. And the revelation that is given to us of heaven in chapters 4 and 5, a uh, uh, very, very striking glimpse into uh, heaven, complete with all of its sights, all of its sounds, all of its colors, all of its activity, and uh, most important, all of its worship. And to realize that this is a scene that we are uh, one day going to uh, head uh, right into. And uh, this is our future as Christians. I like how Vance Havner put it so many years ago. <clears throat> Do uh, go online and uh, Google him or whatever your search engine is and uh, be sure to listen to at least one sermon by Vance Havner before we get out of here. And, uh, but he stated, Christians are not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven, but citizens of heaven making their way through this world. And so uh, this heaven is our home. This is the, the home that we are headed for. And this is the scene that our uh, Christian loved ones have exodus, exited this uh, world uh, to enter in prior to us, and uh, what a joy and a blessing it is for them, but what a, a great comfort it is to us as well. Additionally, I think it's very important that when you get to heaven as a Christian, uh, that you act like you know something about chapters 4 and 5. Uh, if you look around and you say, uh, what is this, uh, these four living creatures? Or what are these 24 elders doing uh, on thrones? And, and your jaw is dropped and, uh, and is an evidence of the fact that you're not well taught. If they ask you what church you attended and you tell them Calvary Chapel of Modesto, I will deny ever having known you. Uh, so uh, we should all uh, be prepared somewhat for heaven uh, by these chapters. Both these chapters give us a glimpse into the glory of heaven uh, collectively, but each of them has a focus, an individual focus. Uh, chapter 5, the focus is a scroll and a lamb. And chapter 4, the focus is a throne. And the word throne is used 12 times in chapter 4, and everything that is described uh, in chapter uh, 4 concerning heaven is described in terms uh, of its relationship to that uh, throne. And it's important to realize that. Uh, everything is described as either being uh, on the throne or around the throne, or from the throne, or before the throne, or in the midst of the throne. 
And so here we're given a vision of uh, heaven's throne room and the reminder that heaven is all about a throne that exists there and all about the one who sits on that throne. Concerning this throne, we're told in verse 2 that it is set in heaven. And the idea is that it is fixed. Uh, It is immovable. It is uh, secure. The entire world may shake today. Uh, The entire world is certainly going to shake uh, in the events of chapter 6 through uh, 19 of the Revelation in a way that is unprecedented in, in human history. Uh, And yet this throne stands firm, it is immovable, even as it is uh, firm and immovable uh, today. The word throne is used 62 times in total in the New Testament. And 47 times that it is used, it is used in the book of Revelation. Fully three out of four times that uh, the word throne is used Uh, In the New Testament, it is used in the book of Revelation. And the throne is a reminder to us of God's sovereignty, of His absolute authority over all of His his creation. It is from this throne, and it's a throne that is very much ignored uh, by the world today, uh, and uh, so perfect and so pure in, in the exercise of its authority that God's wrath is one day going to flow uh, from it. Now, we're told further in verses 2 and 3 uh, that the throne is occupied, that one sat upon the throne. Not a dozen, it's not a council, uh, it's not a senate. Uh, It is a a single one sits upon the throne. And the one who sits upon that throne is God the Father. And that will be made even more clear as we get into chapter 5, a couple uh, sermons away uh, from that. And so heaven is all about God. Heaven is uh, all about His throne. He's the center of attention there. And there will be nothing to compete with Him uh, and for our attention there. It, it, when we get into heaven, it will require nothing uh, of us. There'll be no distractions to loving Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. There will be nothing to distract us about the environment. There will be nothing to distract us about, uh, from our flesh or from sin or from the world. All of those things will be in the rearview mirror at that particular uh, uh, point. And so nothing will compete with God uh, for uh, every part of our life uh, in, in that scene. You notice that he sits upon the throne and, and, the, and, and figuratively it speaks of the fact that he resides there. Uh, he's not there for a four-year term uh, or a, a six-year term or uh, even a, a term of 70-plus years as the Queen of England uh, has been in, in her particular uh, her role, but he, the idea is that he remains there, he resides there. It's the idea of continual occupancy. And the idea is that he is in no danger of being uh, dethroned. He's in no danger of being unseated. 
And so in heaven, there are no partisan fights for power. Uh, there are no elections. There is no public opinion polls that are uh, dictating policy or dictating uh, what it is that's being done there. And uh, with uh, that understanding alone related to heaven, it tells me uh, I'm going to like that uh, an, an awful lot. Uh, if Revelation stopped here, I would be thrilled. Now, we notice as well that God is not pacing back and forth before His throne. Uh, he's not anxious in any way. He is not anxious presently uh, about the condition of the world. Uh, he is not anxious and will not be anxious at the time that, uh, that we are uh, raptured up into His presence and then uh, the tribulation period uh, unfolds. He's not worried about the future of, of the world. He's not worried or, or curious about how human history is going to end. It's going to end as God intends it, and it's going to end with, God, with man's wickedness and rebellion uh, at last being dealt with in a, finally and, and brought to an end. And so we see as God is seated there, He is at peace there, He is not anxious there, he is not pacing there. And if God can be at ease, then it tells us that as His children, we can be at ease as well. In this regard, I think as we see this vision that John has here of God, it certainly reminds us of the vision that Uzziah, uh, that, uh, that the prophet Isaiah had following the death of Uzziah in Isaiah chapter 6, another great uh, portrait of, of heaven uh, that one found in, in, in the Old Testament. Uzziah had been a very, very good king for the southern kingdom of Judah. And a great revival had occurred under Uzziah, and uh, he was an influence for righteousness within the nation. And now he dies, and he had been, he reigned some 40 years, so he's been a fixture. Everybody, the righteous could wake up every day and go, good, Uzziah is on the throne, and we're, we're not going to get any surprises. Righteousness is going to be rewarded, and evil is going to be uh, judged under his reign. And then one day he dies, and uh, now the throne is left vacant. And, and Isaiah is anxious about that. And so what God does is he shows Isaiah the throne behind Uzziah's throne, the throne that is never empty. And he shows him this very throne room uh, as well. And then Isaiah records there in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke." And one of the great blessings of reading the book of Revelation, and you remember that uh, John began this uh, book by reminding us that there's a blessing found in reading it and in hearing it and in obeying it. 
And one of the blessings of reading and learning the book of Revelation is to be reminded of the reality of that throne. It is presently out of our sight, physically, a physical sight, but it won't be out of our sight forever. You notice that the Apostle John used precious gems to express the glory of God the Father uh, coming forth from uh, the throne. And that glory that is emanating from that throne, he says, is like a jasper stone in appearance. This jasper stone that is being referred to here is a little different than the jasper stone that we know today which is a little more opaque than what he's describing. When we get into chapter uh, 21, uh, late in the book, uh, this particular stone is uh, absolutely clear and probably resembled a a, a diamond. And so, like a diamond, there's this light that is emanating that is clear, it is brilliant, and it seems to speak of God's purity and His holiness. And then also emanating, expressing the glory of God, uh, is something like a sardius stone in appearance. And a sardius stone is a a ruby red stone. And, And so perhaps this is speaking of the Lord as the source of our redemption. We know that Jesus is the one who paid the price for our redemption, but remember Jesus was sent by a Father to come into the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so speaking to Him as the source of our uh, redemption. And so you take the two stones together and, uh, and, and they do come together beautifully to communicate what God does in a human life. He brings His perfect, beautiful, clear, Uh, flawless holiness uh, into our life and it exposes our sin. It exposes uh, us as being uh, ill-equipped or completely unequipped for a relationship uh, with Him. Uh, But then uh, upon trusting in Jesus for salvation, uh, He immediately hides what the light has exposed Uh, with Jesus' blood and His sacrifice. Now you notice in verse 3 that uh, John uh, uses the the word like, and we're going to see this occur uh, continually through the book of of Revelation. He's having trouble describing what he's seeing in heaven in earthly terms. And so um, I remember the first time I went to India, and this was many, many years ago, uh, it's a much more developed country now than it was back then. But it, it was so exotic, so different from the United States that when I came home and people would ask me to describe it, you couldn't say, well, it's exactly like this in the United States because there was nothing that was exactly like India in the United States or United States in India. Everything had to be uh, like. You gave it the best representation you could for people to get the best idea. 
that they that in the description. So evidently, uh, heaven is very difficult to describe uh, in in uh, in words. No human language is is fully up to it. And of course, in this, John finds himself in exactly the same spot that the apostle Paul found himself in when he had the vision of heaven, and he said it wouldn't be lawful for me to try and describe it. In, in human language. I would just uh, uh, mar it. And so from uh, on the throne, John continues his description now with what is around the throne in verses 3 and 4. And you notice in verse 3, there is a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And so uh, the rainbow encircles the throne. Now, when we see a rainbow, we see half a circle. We see an arc. And, uh, so, but it's not an arc. It's, it completely encircles uh, the entire uh, uh, throne. And it resembled a, uh, an emerald. And an emerald is a very, very beautiful, beautiful green uh, stone. And so, uh, <clears throat> what the green represents, nobody can be sure. Uh, green is certainly a very peaceful color, uh, and it certainly adds, at the very least, this beautiful color to the, the, uh, all that is going on in that heavenly scene. The rainbow, I think it certainly reminds us of God's covenant with Noah, uh, following the flood and, and uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 9, his covenant with Noah never to destroy the world again by flood, and he made uh, the rainbow. He gifted the world with a rainbow as a, uh, a symbol, a, a witness and a sign of, of that covenant. So you might have imagined after the flood that every time it rained, uh, people probably freaked out. The last time it rained, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And so there would be this great anxiety related to rain. And, and of course, God uh, un understood that. And so God reassured them with this sign of a rainbow. And the rainbow was a sign of, of His mercy, a sign of the fact that grace always follows His his wrath. And so it reminds us that God is always merciful. He's always merciful even in His judgment. And the remainder of the book of Revelation testifies to His mercy even in the midst of, of judgment. For example, God is going to make sure that the gospel is preached to the entire world during the Revelation, still longing for the salvation of human beings. People can still repent and be saved during the tribulation period, and an innumerable multitude uh, will be. God is going to supernaturally protect the Jews when the light goes on for them concerning uh, the identity of the Antichrist and the abomination that causes desolation, and they flee from the Antichrist at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the seven-year tribulation. God is going to bring an end to the tribulation at Jesus' second coming, and if Jesus does not come at His second coming, Luke's Gospel or Matthew's Gospel tells us that no flesh would have survived. It is interesting that that when God made a rainbow as a symbol of His covenant with Noah and His covenant with us as well, that He took a symbol from heaven and then imparted it to the earth. 
And so when you see a rainbow or I see a rainbow after a rain, wouldn't mind a little more rain, uh, but when we see that rainbow, we are seeing a little piece of heaven uh, in, in doing so. Now, look, you look at all these colors that are described here, and this is just the beginning of, uh, of a description of this sheer amount of colors that are going to uh, characterize uh, heaven. And uh, so heaven clearly is not going to be some kind of a dull, uh, drab place. It is going to be a very, very colorful place. And it, it almost makes you a little bit sad that, that so much of what is uh, identified with the God of the Bible and identified uh, with, with Christianity uh, in, in, in terms of outward appearance of, of us as Christians and in our worship uh, of, of the Lord, uh, that Christians tend to wear the most somber of colors possible. And so their, their charcoal or black or navy blue suits with a white shirt or the dresses of these muted colors and, uh, and uh, when uh, what might be a little bit more appropriate uh, in terms of a taste of heaven would be to come to church dressed as a professional bowler uh, where nothing matches. Everything is just a riot of color. And uh, because uh, I'm not advocating it, I'm just throwing out some food for thought here. And, and, uh, but the color is, is amazing. Remember, God's the one who created color to begin with. Uh, the color of the sky, the color of the grass, the color uh, uh, of the sunset and minerals and flowers. And, and heaven isn't going to be less than what we see here. And what we see here is, is uh, amazing. And I, I think that uh, it's going to be a place where our senses are going to go places that they've never been able to go in our current uh, fallenness and the fallenness uh, of the world. You take the most beautiful thing that, to you that you can look at in life. You say, this is the single greatest picture uh, of beauty in, in the world uh, to me and, uh, and what the eye will be able to feast on in, in heaven will be infinitely greater. You notice that around the throne, we're told that there are 24 thrones, verse 4, and on the thrones are 24 elders uh, sitting. And so these are lesser thrones around the greater throne. Uh, these 24 elders are dressed in white robes, they're wearing uh, gold crowns on their head. When it refers to the crown that these 24 elders are wearing, it, it, is, it is not using the term diadem, which is the crown that a sovereign ruler would have, but Stephanos, it's referring to a crown that, that someone wears uh, that would be put on their head following a victory in the Olympic Games or one of the athletic games. And so, Whoever these people are, they've run their spiritual race very, very well. Concerning the identity of these 24 elders, there are two main views. Some believe that they are angelic beings, and the second great view is that they are uh, human beings that represent the Old Testament and New Testament saints. And so often people will say that uh, they'll be each of the 12 apostles and then there'll be 12 representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel uh, in the Old Testament. And so uh, that's a view that's held. And you can make a strong case for each of those positions. I lean toward the fact that they represent the church, 
but nobody can really be dogmatic on, on the issue. And evidently identifying whether these are angelic beings or whether they are representations of the church is, is not required for us to uh, enjoy and appreciate the beauty of, of the scene that's laid before us. We're also told that uh, around the throne, and in terms of this context of around, around the throne are, uh, were four living creatures in verses 6 uh, through uh, 8. And these four living creatures, these do appear to be angelic beings of some kind, and their primary function is to uh, give praise and worship and honor to God uh, for His holiness and for uh, His power, His might, as we'll continue to see on into chapter 5. The interesting thing about these four living creatures is that they share characteristics with both uh, cherubim and seraphim as they're revealed in the Bible. And I'm not going to bog down on the different classes of of angels, but there are those two classes at least of angels uh, in, uh, in the scriptures, and each of them were characterized by certain uh, things. And these four living creatures uh, share characteristics of both. So like the seraphim, they have six wings, they're devoted to the praise of God. Like cherubim, they have four faces. And so they may represent their own category of angel uh, in, in heaven. John's description of them is fascinating. They are in the midst of the throne, verse 6, and they are around the throne. So they enjoy an extraordinary closeness uh, uh, to God, an extraordinary access uh, to God. They're full of eyes in front uh, and in back. And so uh, they're speaking of their intelligence, speaking of the fact that uh, they know what's going on in front of them, what's going on behind them. Uh, they've got an eye on God. They've got an eye on His creation all at the, the, the same time. Each of them had six wings, and each of the living creatures has a, a different face. The first had a face like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. And of course, these four faces uh, have a, a tremendous parallel with how Jesus is represented in each of, of the four Gospels. Like the first living creature with the face of a lion, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is presented as uh, uh, the, Jew, the Jewish uh, Messiah and the Jewish uh, King, even as a lion is known as the King of Beasts. Like the second living creature with a face like a calf, Mark's Gospel represents uh, Jesus as a, a, a servant and, uh, and an ox or a calf, of course, uh, a, a, a animal, a domesticated animal as a servant. Uh, Mark writes, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like the third living creature with a face like a man in Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel emphasizes the humanity uh, of Jesus. He's spoken of continually in Luke's Gospel as the Son of Man. And then like the fourth living creature whose face is like a soaring eagle, 
like a flying eagle which soars very, very comfortably, occupies the heavens very, very comfortably. Uh, In John's Gospel, Jesus is presented as the Son of God come from uh, heaven above. So the, the revelation provides us, I think, with, as we see here and we'll continue to see, a tremendous glimpse into uh, the angelic realm. Other examples of, of angels that we'll run into as we go through the book, uh, <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1, uh, John writes, and he said, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. Okay, that's new. Uh, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land uh, without sinking or toppling. Uh, In Revelation chapter 19, verse 17, we read of an angel who stands uh, in the sun. So the remarkable creation of God, these angelic beings. And so uh, George Lucas, uh, the Star Wars movies, all these other uh, expressions of, uh, of people's imagination and science fiction uh, movies, uh, complete with all of their very, very odd characters, as wonderful as their imaginations are. Uh, they really can't hold a candle to what we're one day going to see represented just in in the angelic uh, realm one day uh, uh, created by God. We see a hint of it. We've got a wonderful thing about uh, TV today. It's all of these marvelous shows about the animal kingdom. I mean, you can have your choice. You say, I want to see animals eaten tonight. And you can click it on there. I want to see animals cuddle tonight. Well, you might have to go to YouTube for that. Uh, for kitten videos or something, but, but, but all, and how all these animals work together and these shows that are just about uh, reptiles, just about, uh, you know, mammals or the lions or just about uh, insects or, and, and uh, frogs. And you see these colors of frogs, green as green can be. And uh, lizards that can look forward and behind all at the same time. And they go one eye watching behind and one eye uh, looking ahead, just like your mom said she could do. And you better <laughs> sit up in the back seat when uh, uh, these animals could, could really, uh, really do it. And you see, uh, uh, and uh, these animals, just the animal kingdom is a part of the creation. And, uh, and of course, we look at them. And, and we're in awe of what we've never seen before. I've never seen a green frog like that, and so we keep watching. But then the, 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 the creation, in terms of insects, in terms of, of the animal kingdom, the reptile uh, kingdom and all, we kind of lose our awe related to them, and the, the marvel of the created being that they are, because over time they become familiar uh, to us. And, and so then we read about these angels in heaven and we go, wow, that's kind of creepy actually. I don't know if I'm going to uh, like that. that and you'll get the hang of it immediately. And uh, you'll marvel over it far more than you will any frog or any insect or uh, anything that they're involved in. And my point is, is if God created, I mean, these, 
amazing creatures to fill the earth. I, I don't think we should expect anything less wonderful in the angelic realm as a part of His creation that uh, is created to uh, occupy and inhabit heaven with Him. You notice then uh, from the throne in verse 5 proceeds lightnings, uh, thunders, and uh, voices. And so here we have uh, the sounds of heaven, and in particular, very, very solemn uh, sounds, uh, awesome sounds in heaven. And of course, it, uh, we would expect that given the fact that heaven is in preparation for the great tribulation, and in preparation for uh, God's judgment to be poured out uh, on the earth. And so heaven is in a mood to judge at this particular uh, point in time. And so here are these awesome sights and sounds of heaven. There's the flashes of lightning. There's the crashing sound of thunder. And then there's voices thrown in. And uh, we know that there were thunderings and lightnings associated with God giving the law of Moses to Moses uh, in, uh, in the book of Exodus chapter 19. And so maybe here is an indication that the righteous standard of the law is now going to be that, that perfect line of righteousness is going to be put up against uh, the wickedness uh, of the world during the great tribulation uh, time and the righteousness of the law of Moses now uh, complete with its uh, blessings, but now uh, for, uh, most concerned with, uh, with its, its cursings and its judgment as it's uh, applied to the wickedness of, of the world. I think that there are few things in life that uh, confront us with our relative smallness as human beings, how powerless we really are uh, as human beings, than when uh, thunder explodes or lightning flashes uh, very, very close to us. I mean, it makes us realize how small and how powerless uh, we are. And the idea is that the threat of God's judgment uh, is, is, should have the same kind of effect upon any thinking person. It should frighten us. It should humble us. It should confront us with our smallness and, and drive us to the salvation that is found in uh, Jesus. It should certainly dispossess anyone of ever thinking uh, that uh, I can pick a fight with God and win. I can't pick a fight with lightning and win. And that's just His creation. I can't pick a fight with thunder and win. And that's just His creation. And, and so uh, it, it, it humbles us uh, and, and makes us realize I better get right with the one who has uh, created all of these things. And so we'll talk about God's, uh, the, the, the righteousness of God's judgment another time when we come to chapter 6. You notice uh, before the throne, in the uh, latter part of verse 5, in the early part of verse 6, before the throne is a sea of glass, like crystal, he describes. And the, the idea when he describes it as a sea of glass, the idea is to emphasize just the sheer size of it. Just, it's like a sea, the sheer, the sheer size of this thing that we're going to see. 
and then uh, it is a sea of glass like crystal. So you imagine the, the beauty of it. All of these colors that we've been talking about that are flashing and going on, all of it now reflecting off of that uh, glass-like crystal, and you see the effect that light has upon uh, crystal and uh, just uh, the beauty of it, again, is really going to be something. Uh, we're going to need new bodies when we enter into to, uh, uh, heaven. Uh, otherwise, we would just go into a sensory overload, and we would be all piled up in a heap, uh, uh, laid down on our sides and drooling from our mouths. Uh, if we weren't given a new body in order to process this beauty and this glory uh, of heaven. You notice in verse 5, he says, seven lamps before the throne of uh, 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 fire burning, which are the seven spirits of God. And so this is speaking of the Holy Spirit and uh, uh, all of His fullness. Seven is the number of completeness. And so He'll be represented there in all of His uh, completeness as we uh, saw uh, quite thoroughly in our study of the church of Sardis in chapter 3. So fire is often used in Scripture as a <clears throat> representing the illuminating aspect of the Holy Spirit, the purifying influence <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit. And so God the Father is present in this scene. The Holy Spirit is present in this scene. In, in chapter 4, and everything now awaits for uh, then the appearance uh, of the Son, of Jesus to come on the scene, which He proceeds to do in, in chapter 5. But first, before we leave chapter 4, next time we have to examine uh, the songs that are sung to God as they're recorded here in chapter 4. And it's enough to say if you love worshiping God, and I know you do because I just worshiped Him with you, then you're going to love heaven because it is a worshiping place. But we'll save that for uh, next time, uh, God willing. And so here we have this uh, heaven uh, and a, a partial description uh, of the home that we're headed to one day. And it's a place that is all about a throne that exists there and about the God who sits on that throne. And it reminds us that uh, nothing then, nothing at the time of the rapture of the church, nothing now lies beyond the authority and, and the power and the almightiness of that throne. And that everything in this world is heading to its God-appointed end. And the end, by the way, is very, very good for the righteous, for the saved. Let's take a, a, a sneak peek as we close here and just the reading of it all the way to Revelation chapter 21. This is where it's all headed. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the heavenly city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride, ordained for, uh, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then here's this throne again. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to John, Write, for these things are true and faithful. To which we say hallelujah and maranatha. Uh, Lord, come quickly. If you sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, this passage teaches us and reaffirms within us the two, two of the great truths of the universe, uh, and those truths are, number one, there is a God, and number two, you are not Him. Not even remotely are you Him. And uh, that, uh, uh, those two great truths are disturbing to many people in the world, uh, but for every person that it disturbs, it is a source of joy and hope to a multitude of uh, of other people. And so, if you're not yet a Christian today, the recognition that, uh, that you want to be on the right side of things with this God, you've been created for a relationship with Him, He loves you, sent His Son to provide you with forgiveness and salvation. And the today is the day to receive that salvation and then enter into a relationship with Him and then have the confidence that you'll be on the right side of Him when all of this uh, that is a, about to come upon the earth as it's described in Revelation comes upon the earth. So there are going to be uh, pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. They'd love to answer your questions and pray with you to be born again and to be saved and to become a follower of Jesus uh, Christ. And so the reminder for all of us, everything is under control. Everything is under control. Just to be, uh, be at peace. And the reminder, and I don't know about you, sometimes people, they get tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. Uh, I don't get tired of saying the same thing over and over again because it always impacts me in a new way. And I need to be reminded of on a regular basis that this is not my home. I am headed for my home. And the same thing is true for you. And heaven is our home. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Thank you, Father, even as we prayed in beginning this Bible study. We thank you for your love demonstrated in the giving of your Son. We thank you for what he has saved us out of, all of the judgment that our sin deserves. And then, Lord, we thank you so much for the glory and the beauty of uh, the life that he has saved us into in this side of glory, this side of heaven, uh, to say nothing of what he saved us into for eternity. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for thinking of all of our needs and overwhelming them in him and we thank you in his name
In Jesus' name, amen.